question is getting at is I'm not a huge fan of the term balanced life. And I think it's because if, if I take seriously all the responsibilities that I'm committed to in my life, husband, father, employee, member of my community, member of my church, you know, all these things, you know, all these responsibilities that are really core to my existence in the world, I can't balance them all effectively all the time. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder. And I'm here with my loyal podcast co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Thank you, Tiffany. Glad to be here. The only thing that I think is really unfortunate for all of our listeners is they don't get to see your glasses week after week. It's kind of your staple item. And it's a shame that they don't get to see the rotating colors and shapes. I don't know how we can fix that. I would guess most of our listeners would be very thankful that they can't see me. (laughs) No, 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 no. I am going to find a way. Today, we are welcoming to the podcast someone who isn't even located in geographical sense that far away from us. It's a shame we haven't invited them on to the show sooner, but we're glad that they're here today. And that is Dr. Drew Moser. Drew Moser is an expert at teaching the Enneagram to companies and organizations. His unique approach leverages the wisdom of the Enneagram in thoughtful, innovative, and practical ways. Most professional development resources are one-size-fits-all formulas that don't consider the diversity and potential of personalities. Drew helps people and teams journey from confusion to confidence through innovative, personality-based solutions to significantly improve their lives and advance their careers. Drew is certified through two Enneagram schools and is a professional member of the International Enneagram Association. He is the co-host of the popular Fathoms podcast. Drew holds a PhD in educational leadership and is a certified strengths-based educator and trained coach. In addition to his Enneagram work, Drew teaches graduate-level courses in teaching and learning strategies and personal and professional development. He integrates all of these skill sets and experiences into his Enneagram work. He is the author or editor of four books, Most recently, The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom, and Practice. The Enneagram of Discernment is a groundbreaking look at how our personality helps and hinders our decision-making. Welcome, Drew. Well, Tiffany and Brad, thank you so much for having me. It's good to be with you. And yes, we should do this in person sometime, right? Right. Yeah. I would have thought of that even last week. (laughs) Same here. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. Oh, well. Um, Sometimes that Zoom just is the go-to thing now. Right. Well, on LinkedIn, this happens with many of our guests, actually. There are just folks who are influencers in the field of higher ed and who stand out to me for different reasons, but I just eat up everything that they post. And you're one of those individuals who is always posting something that catches my attention. But unlike just posting about the latest technology or predictions for higher ed, I find that your posts are often related to rhythm, which we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. or sure. Enneagram or self-awareness or how to you know, work better alongside others, just lots of self-improvement. That's how I perceive it. 
topics, which are very compelling. So thank you for being an influencer in that area among others. Well, thanks for reading and for that encouragement. I think personal growth and personal development is kind of a universal impulse. At least I hope it is. And, and so it's good to know that the stuff I put out there resonates sometimes. That's great. Absolutely. We like to start the show with a getting to know you section. Sometimes it's really silly. Would you rather eat this or this? But today, knowing that you have this (laughs) more than an interest, this scholarly commitment to the Enneagram, it would be unfitting if we didn't start by asking you, what is your Enneagram type? Yeah. And what does it actually tell us about you versus if we happen to Google your type online, I'm sure we could find a lot of memes, but we want to know what it really means. No, I appreciate that question because there is, you know, I think one of the unfortunate consequences of the surge in popularity with the Enneagram is all of this kind of very surface level and stereotyping meme content that's out there. So thanks for asking that. I'm a dominant type three. So nickname is often the achiever. And I think if anyone does any sort of research or has a little bit of knowledge of the Enneagram, they'll think of things such as, you know, efficiency and productivity and achievement, getting things done. And those things are certainly true, but I think what's most important to know about the type three, and this is true of me for sure, is that a lot of that kind of achievement and productivity is fueled by this haunting question, am I valuable or worthy? Right. Mm -hmm. And when we question whether or not we're valuable or worthy, then we are compelled to go create value and worth wherever we go, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but if we are always looking externally for our value and worth and not seeing it within us, that can lead us to some difficult and dark places. So I think that's, that's the journey of the three, the type three on the Enneagram is learning that, Hey, those things are really, there's some really good skill sets and gifts available to you in these areas of productivity and adaptability and efficiency, but your worth is not wholly defined in those things. Right. Also kind of brings to light some of what you have shared on LinkedIn and in other places Mm. about that very topic identity and where do we find our identity in? So to follow that up, we'd like to dig a little deeper into one of your achievements. Oh boy. (laughs) It's specifically in the area of home improvement. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so a brief sketch of my career. We moved into a residence hall so I could work as an RD with kids, kept having kids, and you realized we couldn't fit us and our stuff in a in a res life apartment. And so I pivoted to a new role in higher ed, but required living off campus. And so we had to leapfrog kind of the starter home phase of life because we already had four kids and now we have five. So we bought a larger, but fixer upper. And so I had to learn very quickly what it means to actually take care of a house that needed a lot of TLC. And so YouTube and just gumption became my friends. (laughs) (laughs) And, but more recently, the big kind of home improvement success that about killed me was we put a pool in. Uh, yeah, but you know, we started talking about, okay, we'd love to have a pool. You know, we want our home to be a home base for not just our kids, but their friends and the community. And so we started pricing and realized like we can't afford a pool. (laughs) There's no way. (laughs) 
So, but we realized there's this new category of pool that's called semi in ground, which is basically an above in ground that's structurally more strong and sound. So you can kind of bury it. And so we just said, we'll just completely bury it. So we just took a, an above ground round pool and buried it to turn it into an in ground pool, but it turned out to be just a ton of work. So I didn't start really enjoying the pool until about year three, because it took so much work to get it in the ground, but I'd say you're an achiever with a capital A. That's yeah. right. I have That's those nice. tendencies. Yeah, I do. I do have those tendencies. And my wife is a type one. So she can always see how things can be better improved. And then she can point those out and I can say, oh, well, I could do that. And whether I can or not is another question. Right. And so <laughs> we, we can kind of fuel each other in those ways. So I think it's only uh, fair, Tiffany, for us to share our Enneagram numbers as that'd well. That'd be great. Yeah. I was going to have Drew would be, his skin would be crawling because this is not how this works at all, but I was going to push his buttons. I was going to ask him, how long does it take before you can guess ours? You know, how long do you have to be in a room with us before you can tell us what we are? But oh, I guess we'll go ahead and give it away because we're yeah. nice people. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Just tell me. <laughs> go ahead, Brad. Uh, I'm an eight. Okay. Lovely. I'm a one. Great. Awesome. Great. So what would you say about our working relationship based upon those two numbers? <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, well, I think they could work really well together. I think they could, both could have... work really well together. Yeah. Could work really yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Brad was okay. less obnoxious. No. So maybe, maybe this is aspirational more than descriptive. I don't know. But yeah. no, I think eights and ones both have this sense of a lot of energy to make things better, to improve things. And so when aligned, when those interests are aligned, they can be a powerful team and duo, you know, cause the ones can, yes, we are. yeah, see the areas for improvement, the way things can be better. And the eight seem to have the energy. Well, I can conquer that hill, whatever that is, you know, and, <laughs> and I think ones can also help maybe temper eights sometimes when they mm. maybe want to bulldoze <laughs> over stuff or things and ones can say, Hey, that's listen. happened a few times. Yeah. That's happened a few times. No, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And I think eights can help ones sometimes maybe just relax and not worry about all of the other social norms that maybe feel constraining to them without being, no. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Does he have a crystal ball in front that's of him? That's exactly what desk? I'm wondering. <laughs> exactly. Nailed us. That's, that's wow. perfect. I don't even know how I'm going to move on. That really was perfect. Well, I'm glad that worked then. <laughs> yeah, good job, Drew. <laughs> Just so our listeners will know this was all scripted in advance. <laughs> so. You're undermining more work, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, last question. Yeah. If you could design and deliver a new course, what would it be about? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think what I would do is there's kind of a Venn diagram to my work world that exists and there is some overlap, but this course would create, it would be more of like a flat circle because I do a lot of work in the realm of education, effective teaching and learning strategies, student learning theory, student development, those sorts of things. And then I do a lot of Enneagram work as well. And, and there is definitely overlap there, but if I could create a course from scratch and deliver it, it would be kind of the Enneagram for education like learning how yeah. teachers and students in their pursuit of self-awareness can be more effective. They can learn more effectively and they could facilitate learning more effectively. That would be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a suggestion for you in the future. Great. 
that you might offer a course, and this is going to go back a ways, but you might, for example, have offered a course on pool construction <laughs> well, and make it a laboratory course and have your students come over and help yeah, you. Dig the help. And, yeah, I could have ah. used the extra help. <laughs> yes. Although, yeah, that would expose people to all of my failures along the way. <laughs> like, what, what am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Okay, Tiffany, help us get serious now. All right, I will. We're kind of staying on the Enneagram path here. Do you have a book, The Enneagram Discernment, which Mm -hmm. even just that title, I love. There is a post that you shared where you reflected on that book. I'm going to read kind of a quote from you and then ask you to expand it. So that quote is, there are some problems that more money or time simply can't fix. These problems tend to emerge when we bump up against the limits of our personality. When we become more aware of our personality and how it helps and hinders, we can then learn to leverage it to make better decisions. Working against your personality is exhausting. Working with it, now that's flourishing. Love that quote. Can you tell us more about that line of thinking as well yeah. as your book? Yeah, so I think... One of the things I've learned in doing this work with the Enneagram is that when people encounter their type, when they gain like an initial level of self-awareness, but okay, this is my personality. The response can often be very negative. Like, why am I this way? Why do I keep Mm -hmm. tripping over myself in these same ways? Why do I keep falling into the same ruts? That sort of thing. And I understand that completely. But a lot of that is because what the personality does is it helps us be more efficient, no matter what our type is, it helps us get through the day, right? Like I liken it to when we used to commute to work and weren't doing all this remote stuff all the time. When we used to commute to work, you could get in your car at your home, you could drive to work and 99% of the time, you really didn't have to think about it with too much effort, right? Now, the 1% of the time in which you did have to think about it with a lot of effort is when there was a detour, or there's an accident or something that caused you to kind of wake up from this sort of trance-like state that you were in and think, okay, what am I going to do now? And I think personality often functions in a similar way. It really helps us in a lot of ways. No matter what our personality type is, it's really effective in helping us not only survive, but thrive in our world. But it has limits and it has shortcomings. And then when we bump up against those shortcomings and we realize, okay, there are parts about me that are not as great as I would like them to be, then that can have some negative implications for us. But what I think is most important when working with the Enneagram is to realize, okay, this personality offers a lot. And in the areas where it doesn't offer as much as I want, there's some areas for growth and development for me, or just recognizing that can help me realize I need to lean on some others who are good in those areas to help compensate. And so that's really where my hope for doing any Enneagram work is, is that it raises the level of self-awareness, not to get rid of our personality, because that's impossible. And plus, if you've ever met someone with no personality, they're no fun to be around anyway. Right. <laughs> and, but rather, to, to, oh, hey now, <laughs> I am going to have to mediate here, I think, I um, know. <laughs> but, but I do think once we understand our personality, it's not to get rid of it. It's really to integrate it into a fuller sense of who we are, knowing our limits, knowing our strengths. And in so doing, I think we make better decisions. And that's really the crux of the book 
is I'm struck by this sad truth that our information age has not necessarily made us more wise. The amount of information mm-hmm. that we have at our thumbtips in our pockets has not necessarily made us any more wise in the realms of the big questions of life. And so that's where we need to cultivate this idea of discernment. And I think we can't cultivate a good, healthy sense of discernment if we don't know who we are. I just want to stop and magnify something you said. Sure. The use of the term thumb tips. Yeah. That is so clever. Well, I mean, (laughs) it's accurate, right? You know, and and if you ever see someone using their fingertip to use their phone, that's when teenagers make fun of you. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. what are you doing? <laughs> so, Drew, do you think people spend more time thinking about what's good about them, or spend more time thinking about what they're weak at, what they can't do well, what they'd like to improve? Yeah, which is the most dominant. Yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer for that because I've encountered both. I think in a lot of the coaching kind of work that I do in my uh, consulting practice, a lot of clients come to me because they've discovered their personality and they're really frustrated by it. (laughs) Uh Now, now I also think there's a whole other set of humanity that thinks their personality is great. And if everyone else just had the same personality, then the world would be better, right? (laughs) Yes. 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 It's true. It's true. Those are not the people that are coming to me <laughs> asking for help. <laughs> so there could be some self-selection bias, you know, going on. Um, but I think both are problematic. I think there's a toxic positivity that can creep in here that can be really damaging and a toxic negativity that can be damaging. I think the Enneagram is best used when it has a healthy understanding of the fact that our personalities are a mixed bag, every one of them that there are things that are really great about us and about the ways in which we see and kind of experience the world. And then there are also ways in which we get in our own way. Yeah. You mean there's not a winning personality? (laughs) No, you know, there is not, you know, one of the things I say over and over again, you know, (laughs) these things are obvious, they exist in culture. So certain cultures exalt Mm. certain types, right? Which is why I often say, Hey, any type can be a really effective leader. Mm-hmm. I think Western culture often exalts three sevens and eights to be as it should leaders, be, right? <laughs> as it should be, <laughs> as it should be <laughs> says the eight. <laughs> the three will not comment on it. Yeah, and so some of these things we have to culturally unpack, right, in terms of priorities and preferences. But yes, uh, every type has its own mixed bag. Yeah. So you really they're talking about balance. And one of the other things I'd like to explore with you is this whole idea of work-life balance. Yeah. The difference between a balanced life and a rhythmic life. Yeah. Yeah. I think what your question is getting at is I'm not a huge fan of the term balanced life. And I think it's because if, if I take seriously all the responsibilities that I'm committed to in my life, husband, father, employee, member of my community, you know, member of my church, you know, all these things, all these responsibilities that are really core to my existence in the world. I can't balance them all effectively all the time. And illustration that I often use is like a slack line. If you've ever seen a slack line, you know, if you're on a college campus, you'll see these things or someone's (laughs) backyard where it's this tight rope. That's a few feet off the ground between two trees. And if you try to traverse the slack line, you realize it's really hard. It's a humbling experience. 
it's fun for like five minutes and then you're exhausted. And I think we often have these expectations that life needs to be lived in perfect balance all the time. I think that that's a false pursuit. I think a much better understanding of how to navigate all these responsibilities that we have is to have healthy rhythms in all the areas that matter to us, right? So right now, you know, I hope in the midst of a healthy rhythm with my Enneagram works, talking with you two on this podcast, right? Now, what that means is it doesn't mean that I'm not a dad right now, but it means I am not trying to be an active parent to my five kids right at this very minute. There are healthy rhythms and seasons for when I need to devote myself fully to my kids and put away work and et cetera. So I think we need to think more rhythmically, like what are the rhythms of a week or a month or a season of life that are healthy, that allow us to tend to these responsibilities well and faithfully without burning ourselves out. Because I think the idea of balance will exhaust us at some point. That's a great explanation. It's something we all need to think about and learn. Yeah. And the hard part about that is, is that, so therefore I can't give this simple formula to everyone for how in the midst of their personality, given all of their life circumstances, they should live this balanced life because I don't think that's the way it should be. And so what does it mean to look at the rhythms of your life, given your personality type in ways that are healthy and flourishing for you mm-hmm. and those around you that matter to you? Mm-hmm. I find that very helpful to think about. If you strive for balance on a daily basis, I feel like you wind up feeling like there's a lot of failed attempts. It's very stressful to strive for balance, but to strive for rhythm, that's so much yeah, more freeing. Right. This is still really important to me, but I can't tend to this fully right now, right? There will be a rhythm in which I can get to this because it does matter to me. But if we're trying to balance everything all at once, I think that that's a recipe for burnout. We are going to take a break in the show right now. We'll be back next week for part two with Drew Mosher. I also want to encourage everyone to check out our website, digitaltolearn.com with the numerical two. That's where you can find episode specific resources, including links to the books that Drew has referred to, as well as some of his work with the Enneagram, his personal website, so much material available for you on that website. Also, please take this opportunity to share our podcast, to like it. You're not allowed to dislike it. So that's really the only option and just help us get the word out there. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.